Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for this Thursday edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. It's February 9th, which means it's time for our final episode in our 2022 Sunbelt in review series. We've spoken with so many great guests from across the Sunbelt landscape over the past month. Caden, this series really has been a blast. Uh, what have been some of your favorite conversations that we've had? Oh man, there's been so many to choose from and so, so hard to pick just one. But obviously I think we come into the series knowing the top town of the league. We were a little bit more familiar with the Troys, the App States, the Coastal Carolinas. But learning a little bit more about a school like Texas State, I think our conversation with Kev Chardillo was one of my favorites. And just from talking to him and looking at their personnel and what they've got going on, I think he's almost made me into a believer that they'll be more successful next year. So just learning about those schools that maybe we don't talk about a lot, don't get to learn a lot about, was definitely a fun experience for me. Hey, I, I agree with you in one facet. Kef definitely had the best hair of anyone that we've interviewed uh, throughout this series, girls included. Uh, so some fantastic hair there from Kef. I really enjoyed the Keith Gill interview that we started this off with. And then I thought the information that we got from Ben Moore about Georgia State was definitely interesting. So I think those were some of my favorites. But really, you could tune into any of these episodes, any of these guests, and they have been you know fantastic. They've given us so much information. On this latest episode, episode 65, we're going to be focusing on the 2022 campaigns for the Old Dominion Warhawks, who finished 3-9 and nine overall and 2-6 and six in Sunbelt East play, along with the ULM Warhawks, who went 4-8 and eight while securing their first road win since 2019. We hope that you've been able to enjoy several of the episodes in our Sunbelt in review series over the past month. As I mentioned, we've spoken with Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill we had Shane Metlin on talking all things JMU. We even talked with Molly Cotton up at App State about their disappointing season and really so much more. Uh, if you missed any of those episodes, don't worry. You can find them by clicking the link in our Twitter bio or by visiting Apple or Spotify in the coming days. You're going to want to listen to each of those episodes as we start to get you set for what should be an exciting 2023 season. In this, our final Sunbelt in Review Series episode tonight, uh, we'll focus our attention on the 2022 season for the Old Dominion Monarchs, who Caden never really got going offensively under Ricky Ronnie this year, as well as the ULM Warhawks, who finished with their best record since 2019. Yeah, there was, these are two teams that had disappointing seasons, and I feel like getting to talk to the people that were their closest maybe explain some of the reasons why they didn't have a season, the season that they wanted to, whether it was injuries or other personnel problems, and maybe why we should be more hopeful about them next year. So very excited for the people to listen to these two teams and people that were inside in the huddle almost talking to them and getting the experience that they needed and learning just about what those two situations look like this season. Well, first up, we're excited, Caden, to welcome David Hall, who covers Old Dominion for the Virginian pilot to the Frary and Smith podcast to give us some insight into this team's kind of roller coaster offensive season in Norfolk. Caden, how about you give our listeners a little preview of what David had to say in this interview? Yeah, it was great talking to David. This was a team that had some great momentum in the beginning of the year with that big upset win. But then seeing how the season went for them, it was very interesting to hear David's perspective on why maybe they lost some of those games, why some things didn't go right for this team. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with the one and only David Hall. David, really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for taking some time out of your schedule. Glad to do it. Thanks for having me. Well, if you've listened to our podcast at all, we generally jump right in. So we're going to go ahead and do that right here. And by all accounts, this was kind of a disappointing season for Old Dominion. They beat Virginia Tech at home to begin the year, but then they go and lose nine of their last 11 games. There was that big win against Coastal Carolina sprinkled in in week seven. 
Uh, but this team ended the year on a six-game losing streak. From your vantage point, what went wrong this season for the Monarchs? That's an excellent question that uh, nobody will answer. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to say. Um, a clue is the fact that they lost their offensive coordinator two weeks or two or three weeks before the season um, for reasons that have not been disclosed and that uh, nobody will discuss. Um, he was hired, I think, in December and never coached a game at ODU um, and then was just summarily let go. And they promoted a, a position coach who, uh, who they, they fired their offensive coordinator the previous season between the regular season finale and the bowl game. So they promoted a, a position coach to call plays in the bowl game. And then they made him the OC for last season. And I asked him before the season if he had ever called plays before that bowl game. He said only in Madden. So uh, there was a lack of experience there. I don't, I'm not saying he's incompetent, but um, they have since replaced him. Um, I think there was some discord on the team about the coordinator being let go, perhaps. That's speculation on my part. But, um, yeah, it. I've covered football for a long time. I started out covering East Carolina, then came here. And uh, this was probably the weirdest season I ever covered, just because ODU was picked to finish last in the East Division, which turned out to be correct. I thought it was foolish at the time. But they, as you said, they opened with the, the upset of Virginia Tech and then come up against the best team in the league, arguably, in, in Coastal Carolina, and blow them out. So, uh, and then nothing after that. So it, it was a really bizarre year. It was a bizarre year for sure, David. But one of the non-bizarre parts of this year was the play of junior wide receiver Ali Jennings. At one point this season, he had a touchdown catch in seven straight games. He was near the top of the NCAA in receiving yards throughout the entirety of the season. But then he missed those last couple weeks of the year with that injury and then announces he's going to be transferring. What will you remember most about the season that Ali Jennings had this year? I think just the fact that anything could happen on any given play. I mean, Third and one, he could he could go for sixty yards. Um, fourth and fifteen, fourth and fifteen in a desperation situation, they they managed to find him. Um, and and the remarkable part of the, about that is that they had a tight end named Zach Koontz, who is now in the NFL pool, um, who got hurt a few games into the season. And they were I was in fact I was working on a story on this when, when Zach got hurt. They they were. Uh, a kind of a tandem that teams had to account for. If you pay too much attention to Ali, Zach was going to get you and vice versa. Um, so the remarkable thing about Ali's season is that he was kind of flying solo in terms of being a target and he still managed to catch a bunch of passes. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a special season for Ali Jennings. I know Caden and I, we both tuned into Old Dominion football games just to watch Ali Jennings this year. I uh, might be similar to how you answered the previous question, but for most of this year, ODU really struggled to run the football. There was that three-game stretch in October where they ran for over 100 yards in three straight games, including that 300-plus-yard performance against Coastal Carolina. Blake Watson finished the year with almost 1,000 yards and five touchdowns, but when you look at the actual numbers, they're just it wasn't a great rushing attack. What do you think led to maybe some of those struggles to establish that consistent running game? You know, they had 10 players returning on offense. The only only guy they lost was a, an offensive lineman who was sort of a, a Swiss Army knife. He could do everything. Um, and I think maybe the talent of the, the four returners was a little bit overestimated, um, and they didn't. I, I covered a coach a couple of years who used to say he wanted his offensive line, instead of being five pennies, he wanted it to be a nickel. And I don't think they were a nickel. 
I think they were they were five pennies, and they never really uh, found that cohesiveness consistently. Now they found it that day at Coastal Carolina for what for whatever reason. That was the the most uh, anomalous game I've I've ever seen. Probably, I mean, uh, you you mentioned Blake Watson's rushing yards. I think nine hundred twenty nine yards. Two hundred and fifty nine of them came that afternoon, and it, he was just unstoppable. He set a school record for uh, yardage in a game. He scored three touchdowns that day. I think tied a school record, and he set the school record for yards per carry. And I think it was something like fourteen and a half yards per carry that day. And then they just seemed to lose it right after that. Now, I was definitely hopeful about the offense after that Coastal Carolina game. And you're right. It was definitely something that stood out a lot this year as far as something that was different that we hadn't seen from the ODU team all season. But all season as well, Hayden Wolf was the starter throughout this year. It was a mixed bag of results for him. I always thought he was more of a game manager that kind of struggled to elevate the team at certain times. But he played a lot better down the stretch. And looking ahead to next year, do you anticipate him being the starter and what is the quarterback depth looking like right now heading into next year with backup quarterback Brendan Clark now not a part of the team? Yeah, Clark, he's a, he was a transfer from from Notre Dame. They had high hopes for him. Um, only played a couple of downs this year. Uh, he just couldn't shake the injury bug. Um, to answer your question, yeah, I, th- I think um, the I think the, the starter is going to be the starter. I mean, he's he's proven. He's I think he passed for. 2,900 yards last year, 18 touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, he's the guy. Uh, what, they, what they'd like to see him do is become more mobile. Um, he has not shown the ability to consistently run the ball when they've needed him to. Um, he showed flashes of it a couple of times, and, and that was the, the biggest complaint among the fan base is that he, you know, he would do the RPO plays and – Fake, hand the ball off, and then roll out to his left as though he's running the ball, and nobody ever followed him. And the the couple of times that he did keep the ball, he he got some yards, and I think they'd like to see more of that. Um, I would imagine it's pretty it's going to be pretty difficult for anybody to unseat him as a starter. But with the transfer portal, you never know. What have you seen from this old Dominion team in terms of bringing in guys to kind of restock that cover? Because Outside of Hayden Wolf, it feels like that quarterback room is a little bare right now. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I don't. I'm not sure who they brought in so far, um, but I know they had a couple of guys they were they were looking at um, down the depth chart. Yeah, I know. I know. At one point, Mac was. Uh, I believe Mac was was on that depth chart as well. I know he was a senior this past year. Yeah, he he was the start of the first half of 2021, and then uh, they put Hayden Wolf in there, and uh, they won five in a row to end the season, I believe, um, and, and qualify for a bowl. Yeah, they were one and six and ended up six and six, went to the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Um, they had a junior named Grant Wilson who, who was in the mix, a sophomore named Jack Shields. Tyler Scott was a redshirt freshman last year. Um, so, I mean, they do have options, but, again, it's going to be – any of them will be hard-pressed to unseat Wolf. Yeah, just some guys perhaps light on experience a little bit. Um, you know – Despite this team moving into next year, despite there being some notable defections um, from this year's team, Jason Henderson is scheduled to return and kind of anchor that defense again in 2023. He had that historic second season at Old Dominion. What can we expect from him heading into 2023? And where do you feel like his game needs to continue to evolve? I can't offer any criticism of Jason Henderson. I mean, the kid is a tackle machine. Um, he, He told me after the season, uh, that he is 
he committed to Old Dominion and he plan he's committing to stay in here. So I don't think he's going anywhere, certainly not this year and, and probably not ever. Um, he uh, was on pace to set the NCAA record for tackles in a season. Then he got hurt in right before the penultimate game of the season, missed that game. So he he sniffed this record that uh, was set, I believe, in 13 games. He he came close to it in 10. So I mean that should tell you something. I mean the guy he he well he's a former wrestler, and I asked him one time if that if that ever helped him with tackling. He's like, he's like yeah, it's like a single leg takedown. <laughs> so um, not only does he have a nose for the ball, he knows how to get people on the ground better than most. Yeah, we had him on the podcast and we definitely talked about his wrestling background, but he's someone on this defense. I feel like everyone's knowing what to expect heading into next season. When you look at the rest of the defense, though, the players who have left, the players who are coming in now, what are your expectations for the rest of that Old Dominion defense that's going to have him in the middle as such a consistent key to everyone else's success? You know, their their defense was pretty consistent last year. Um, not consistently good all the time, but <laughs> they, uh, they, they have a lot of tools, uh, especially in the secondary. Um, I think they're going to be fine. They they stress defense a bunch, defense and special teams. Um, and I, I think the feeling is that the offense will come, and it just didn't last year the way they expected. Um, and, again, it surprised everybody because they had so many returners. Um, it, this day and age, it's hard to say from year to year what a team's going to look like just because of the transfer portal. Um, who knows? Maybe they'll get seven dudes who are – studs and and have the best defense in the conference it's tough to say definitely tough to predict but we're about to make you predict it right here david now we talked about some of the struggles that this team had last season and also some promising things to look forward to in the future of this program with that all in mind and you looking at the new opponents that list that came out for the 2023 season seeing who the monarchs going to face pull out your crystal ball for us what are your expectations of this team next year <sighs> again it's hard to say because teams are so are so much their own entities from season to season. Um, I would expect them to do better than three and nine, which is what they were last year. Um, I, I know that in 2021, when they were one and six, uh, I, after they won the five games to get to become bowl eligible, I asked Ricky Ronnie, the coach and, and several players, what happened? Like was, was something switched on? And they said, we just kept doing what we do. We kept believing in Coach Ronnie, and we kept believing in the process, and it worked. And they they have enough guys still left over from that team to see that it can work. So I think if they just – and I hate to even say these words, but there's not an interview with anybody in that program ever where you don't hear them say, we just want to go 1-0. and And it's such a cliche, and Ricky admits that freely. He, he said it was probably uttered by Newt Rockney or somebody. It's like, it goes back that far. But it, uh, he, he applies it. They apply it to everything. Go 1-0 this week in the game. But before that, go 1-0 in practice. Go 1-0 in the weight room. Go 1-0 in study hall, in the classroom, all that stuff. With dinner. I mean, they, they apply it to everything. Um, and it's, it's become a – they say it so much it's become a bit of a joke, but they really do believe it. And if they continue to – to have faith in that in that process and that uh, philosophy, I think they can continue to improve. Well, David, it's certainly been good to you know have them as an addition to this conference. Uh, we appreciate you taking a little bit of time today to kind of take us further inside this program. Uh, we really do appreciate your time today. I appreciate yours. Thank you. 
Jaden, really enjoyed that conversation with David Hall, and I thought his perspective on this team was great. I really enjoyed uh, listening to his take on the offensive coordinator issues. There was that firing or, you know, being released towards the beginning of the year, and then ultimately they turned to an offensive line coach. It really did feel like that played a major role on this year's Old Dominion team. Yeah, and it's hard to just keep harping back on the Coastal Carolina game, but when you look at that game and how it went for that team, it's hard to argue with that the whole season they kind of didn't tap into their offensive potential. You saw what they were capable of going up against one of the best teams in the conference, a team that was playing for a conference championship. And to see the rest of the season kind of get squandered and not really fully reach their offensive potential was tough to see. So maybe seeing this season, if they can stay a little bit healthier on front, maybe utilize some of those weapons out wide a little bit more and take a leap out of Hayden Wolf. Maybe we can see some more offensive production this season for Old Dominion. Hey, how interesting was that take about Ollie Jennings? They talked about going into the year, they wanted this two-headed monster, Zach Kuntz and Ollie Jennings. And really for most of the year, Caden, it did feel like Ollie Jennings was kind of a one-man show and how impressive that was that he put up those numbers despite being kind of that go-to all season long. Yeah, Ali Jennings, it's really a shame that he got hurt at the end of the year because he was really pushing for not only that high, that wide receiver belt and that title belt we've been talking about throughout the season, but even just nationally looking at what he was doing compared to some of the best receivers in the country. So it was a shame that we never got to see him and Zach Coons kind of work in tandem this year because of injuries, because of some of the lack of creativity on the offensive side of the ball. And he now moves on. So I think not having him is going to be a huge hole for this offense going forward but we still obviously wish Ali the best of luck in his next school. Caden David brought up the run game for Old Dominion and I was curious just what your overall thoughts were on that run performance and maybe some of the things that he mentioned in this interview particularly some of the lack of cohesion on the offensive line. Yeah, I think again, I think it's some of the themes we've had with these teams that didn't have the success they wanted to on the offensive side of the ball this year. It's very easy to point at the offensive coordinator, at the skilled players, the people who have the ball in their hands all the time. But once you find out and kind of get that look back and to see what's not going right up front for teams, I think some of those issues start to come to light. So it has to start up front. And maybe we didn't talk about the offensive line struggles enough from this old Dominion group. But I just think as, the, as far as the run game goes, Blake Watson didn't get to really reach his potential as far as what he was capable of this season. The mobility of a Hayden Wolf would have definitely helped and I did like some of the packages they had this year with DJ Mack running the ball at the quarterback position so hopefully going into next season they can see what they did right what they did wrong maybe fix some of those issues and kind of tap in more into that potential that they do have because I do believe they have the size and skill to run the ball in this league. Hey, suffice to say, a lot of things need to change in the offseason for Old Dominion so that they can improve on what was a pretty disappointing first year in the Sun Belt. Well, Caden, as we've done on every one of these episodes, we're going to hand out some end-of-year awards. For those who've listened to these, the only rule was that you couldn't win uh, multiple awards. And, Caden, there is some intrigue here because I know you and I disagree a little bit on a couple of these picks, but I'll go ahead and let you get started with freshman MVP for the Monarchs. Yeah, the freshman MVP for Old Dominion this year, we had to go with Denzel Lowry, the defensive tackle. He was just really kind of an anchor up front for these guys, especially at a young age. It's very hard to get going and find have the game slow down with you and really match with you physically. But this guy, he looked like a senior and experienced veteran all year for this team. He had 35 tackles, five tackles for locks got in the backfield four times for a sack and also got his hands on some turnovers with a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. So a great freshman season and a start to his career at Old Dominion. And going into our defensive MVP, which I know this is where we kind of might have disagreed a little bit, Noah, it's Jason Henderson, the linebacker. I mean, y'all know who he is. He's the best tackler in the country this year with 186 tackles that led the Sunbelt, that led the country, had 10 tackles for a loss, a sack and three pass breakups. And a guy who's clearly dedicated to this program and decided to come back. We know that Jason Henderson is a guy who probably could have hit the transfer Total, gone to any school of choice based on the monster season he had, but he decided to stay and was really just the heartbeat of this defense playing sideline to sideline. And I think 
in my opinion, the best player on this team, just based on what he did and how his emotions were, and even just talking to him and what he meant to this program as far as his dedication. So that's our defensive MVP, Jason Henderson. Well, you almost sold me there, but I'm going to take a line out of the voters who voted for Sunbelt Conference Defensive Player of the Year. They didn't name him Defensive Player of the Year. So I reserve the right to go with a different team MVP in a moment. But before we get to team MVP, let's talk about offensive MVP. And that was Blake Watson. I think he would have liked to have had a better season, but still it wasn't a bad year. 916 yards on the ground was good for fifth in the Sun Belt this year, as well as five rushing touchdowns. And Caden, the reason I chose him as offensive MVP, I really liked his dual threat nature. He also had 37 catches for 314 yards and two touchdowns. There aren't a lot of running backs in the Sun Belt. Uh, that are threats out of the backfield. And I thought that made Blake's uh, game really interesting this season. So he's my offensive MVP. And Kane, that leaves my team MVP. And much like your argument for Jason Henderson, Ali Jennings at times this year was the leading receiver in the country until he got hurt down the stretch. 54 catches, 959 yards, was fourth most in the Sun Belt. Had nine touchdown catches. And Caden, here's why he was my MVP. Seven games this year where he had a touchdown. I know that a lot of those didn't lead to wins, but he was putting points up on the board nearly weekly. And Caden, this was really interesting. When you take out the games that he missed, he actually led the Sun Belt. He was the only wide receiver uh, with 100-plus yards receiving per game average this year. So I had to go with Ollie Jennings. I'm always going to lean a little bit more towards offense, but that's why I went with Jennings over Henderson. Yeah, look, these are two fantastic players, and it's so hard to pick because they're really splitting hairs because these are two guys that were nationally regarded at one point during the season as some of the best players at their position. But I personally kind of wanted to go with Jason because he's staying here. He's kind of want to reward him for staying with the program. He's a guy and just reward him for staying healthy all season as well. It's obviously a shame that Ollie did get hurt. and We didn't get to really see him put a cap and put a bow on the fantastic season he has, and that's kind of why I I leaned a little bit more towards Jason and also probably because I'm a defensive player too at heart. Hey, agree to disagree on this one. We've done it before. I'm sure we'll do it again. So certainly uh, a difference of opinions there. But next up, we're going to have Paul Letlow join us, who serves as the ULM online columnist. Join us. He's as plugged into the Warhawks program as anyone. And Caden, he shared a lot of great info in this interview. He definitely did. It was great talking with Paul and hearing his perspective on the season that the Warhawks had and Definitely excited for the people to listen to maybe some of the future changes we might see in this program. There's been some different coaches in and out, some different transfers coming in and some changes at the quarterback position as well. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Paul Letlow. Paul, you came highly recommended, and we're certainly glad that uh, you've taken some time out of your schedule to join us on the Ferrari and Smith podcast. Hey, uh, great to uh, be on with you guys. Well, Paul, we're going to jump right in, and you know, I like to break ULM season this year into three parts. The first four games of the year where they go 500, including that win over Louisiana. Then there was that rough middle stretch where they lose four straight games, and then they go two and two down the stretch to close out the year. Give us your overall assessment of this past season for the Warhawks. I would say this season and even the one before under Coach Terry Bowden, um, in my opinion, they they really were were better than the sum of their parts. In other words, they they both seasons they won some games you didn't expect. I didn't expect a, a win over Louisiana Lafayette. Year before I didn't expect a win over Liberty. Uh so they've been competitive. They've been competitive in in games. They've won some games they weren't expected to. Um typically they're underdog in every game. So you know, it kind of makes it uh, makes it easy to win games you're not supposed to if you win any games at all, right? So, um, 
but yeah, a schedule for a, for a ULM is always going to have those money games. That's a visit to Texas. That's a visit to Alabama. Um, you're going to get in conference with your peers, got you know teams like Louisiana Lafayette that you certainly want to beat, and uh, and then you're going to have your you know your games against teams you're supposed to beat. Uh, I don't know, I'm trying to remember who that would have been this past year. Um, going with your next question, Nichols, Nichols State would be would be one that you're supposed to win. So you get maybe one of those a year, but otherwise you're you're up against the wall in most of the other contests. Paul, let's focus more on that big win over Louisiana Lafayette. The Warhawks snapped a four-game losing streak over their fast couple of years with their rival. They beat the Cajuns at home for the first time since 2004. What was that day like and how important do you think it was to that program? Yeah, I mean, that's an in-state rivalry. Um, you know, they like to go by Louisiana, which is uh, illegal according to state law, but the Cajuns don't don't seem to abide by the rules, right? So, I know Louisiana Monroe loves to hang that other L on them. They're always trying to drop that L. They don't want to be Lafayette, uh, so they got to add one back on there for them this year. And I know, yeah, but it, absolutely, you're gonna you're gonna battle in recruiting. Um, you're gonna you're gonna have kids that they're gonna come up to North Louisiana and try to take from you. You're gonna go down there and try to get those guys. But that name thing is kind of a sensitive issue, and so anytime you can beat them and give them that other L, that's a good day. Hey, I love that on this podcast, we are digging in deep to that issue. I know at times this year, Caden, as a former player, likes to call them ULL. He's been called out. And on this episode, it sounds like he's in friendly territory and he can call them ULL. Well, you know, Paul, Terry Bowden is going to enter his third season this coming year as ULM's head coach in 2023 after back-to-back four and eight finishes. Uh, He's an extremely experienced coach, but he just hasn't really been able to get over the hump yet with this program. What has his message been to the team this offseason? And kind of what do you feel like the overall temperature in the room from the fan base is about the job he's done so far? Uh, generally speaking, I think fans are, are pretty happy. Uh, he's come in and he's, um, I think he's improving the talent level every year, uh, just like everybody else. I mean, you lose some te- some guys in the portal, but you can you can go reload again. And I think that's just, I hate to use the word, new, you know, the phrase new normal, but that's where we are. And, and so I see it as a positive. I don't. I think I'm probably in a minority on that, but I mean, you can reload very quickly. They signed more than 30 players. Uh, they've got uh, a big running back from Miami. Uh, they got a defensive end from Texas A&M. You know, we got Tyrone Howell coming back as a receiver that came from Kansas State, and so you get you can kind of get in that discount bin, the bargain bin, so to speak, if you're a ULM. And and these aren't guys you would have gotten the first try, but you know, when you get a four or five star player to come in into the Sun Belt. That's a that's an impactful player most of the time if he's got his head on right. Definitely. In this season, y'all had Chandler Rogers under center at ULM. He had an up and down year, kind of marred by some of those interception and turnover problems. He leaves and hits the transfer portal for North Texas. And then ULM brings in Louisiana Lafayette quarterback Hunter Herring, along with guys on the roster like a Garrett Habel, who are still on the team. What do you think that quarterback position is going to look like at Monroe next season? Yeah, I think first up is a guy, a kid named Jaya Wright. And so when Bowden first arrived in Monroe, he had a tryout camp, basically just a, uh, a portal camp, so to speak. And that was in August. And from that portal camp, they found Jai Wright, who was a uh, journeyman quarterback. I'm not even sure where all his stops were, but his last stop, they dropped football. So he was definitely a free agent. And then Chandler Rogers was a kid that had um, committed to Southern Miss at one point. And so they got both of those quarterbacks at that time. Uh, Chandler ended up kind of emerging as the guy, but they were neck and neck. I mean, they, they call him 1A and 1B, uh, even coming into the season. So uh, John Wright is a similar type player, uh, a dual threat guy. 
Uh, he's a guy that, um, you know, really, I don't think they feel like they're going to miss a whole lot, honestly. That's that's kind of the book on Jaya. And then Hunter Herring is a kid that that produced, uh, that was that came up locally at a local high school. And uh, he went down to Lafayette, and, and he decided to come back home. So I know they're excited about him, too. He was a very productive quarterback and, and one that can probably, you know, maybe be groomed as a quarterback of the future. Yeah, I definitely think you, you know, you like the what you got from Chandler Rogers um, last year, but it's I think you don't have to go out on a rim a, a limb to say that that's replaceable. So it'll certainly be interesting to see heading into this next year. You know, one guy that has announced that he's coming back, wide receiver Tyrone Hall. He really did have a breakout season. He was the only All Conference player on this team, other than punter Devin McCormick. Uh, he had some of his biggest breakout games at the position this season, and then announced ultimately that he's coming back. How big of a commitment was it to get him back for this next year? That was huge. And and I'm a guy that covered players like Marty Booker here years ago. Um, there was a receiver just a few years ago, Marcus Green, that played in Canada. But Tyrone Howell is is a really a well-rounded receiver. He can go up and 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 take a ball away from somebody. Uh once he's got it, he can run away from you. I mean, he'll get out there and block. He's physical. Uh and really a a, a guy that that seems to appreciate this opportunity he's been given in Monroe. And and that's not always the case. You know, guys that move around, they uh, it's easy to get disenchanted. But, I mean, he came in and produced, and he said, you know what, I think I made a good decision. I mean, this is uh, this is a chance for me to be showcased, and uh, I'm doing it here, and, and I'm coming back, and I'm going to try to build on that and, and get to the next level. Yeah, Howell definitely had a monster year. He had some monster games that are still seared in my memory for sure. But – one side of the ball that wasn't as electrifying this year for ULM was that defense. This is the third year now in the past four seasons that they've been one of the worst scoring defenses in the conference. There's been a ton of turnover at that defensive coordinator spot as well. When you look at what they did in the transfer portal, seven of those 10 guys are on the defensive side of the ball. What do you think it'll take for this ULM defense to take a leap and improve next year? Yeah, I know um, the defensive coordinator will be a second year guy now is Vic Koning and he's um I mean, has a lot of respect around the Sun Belt. He was at Troy. I know Troy would probably love to have him back even now. And uh, he kind of came in and inherited a roster. So he's a, he was a guy that was always, always, always really good at making adjustments in that second half. I know fans love to talk about making adjustments, right? But he did it. I, I saw it time and time again. But he still was kind of having to cook with the groceries that he found in the pantry. And and now I think this offseason you see guys departing. I don't think that's I, don't, I think that's by design. I think they wanted to kind of rebuild and come up with some players that were maybe a little better fit for what he wants to do. Um, and so I, I have a lot of faith in a in a Vic Honey and feel like he can, you know, he can you know what's the old saying that uh, a coach is so good he can take his and beat you and he can take yours and beat you. And I think I think Vic Honey is a guy that probably fits that category. Yeah, I love that insight right there on, you know, maybe because we have seen a lot of guys depart this program, but I think that that's a, an interesting uh, opinion and perspective there uh, on some of those departures. Uh, Paul, here's the part of this episode. It's your final question. We're going to put you on the hot seat here. We've talked about how this team looked in the past and how it might look in the future. Uh, so we're going to put up, you know, have you pull out your crystal ball uh, based on what we've discussed and what you know, seeing the schedule for the Warhawks next season. What are kind of your expectations for the 2023 season. Is this a team that you think can finally get over that four and eight hump in the Sunbelt West? That's a good question. And and it just, there's so many new players. I mean, I just mentioned there were 30 plus new players in the program. Um, I know there were some areas they wanted to get better. 
their running backs all left, so they've they've you know brought in a couple of guys that I think are going to be big improvements. A little bigger backs. I mean, wanted uh, get, you know got in some short yardage situations last year. Um, they'll be able to score in some some opportunities where maybe they missed out last year. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think you know any any team under a Terry Bowden is going to win some games. You don't think they will. And the key is to win the games you're supposed to. You know, they, they've been pretty good at home for the most part. Um, I can see it. I mean, it's a tough league. As my man from App State knows, it's not easy. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of good teams, and they seem like they keep adding even more every year uh, that, are, that are competitive too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can see them. There's just always a couple swing games in there that are the difference between those four wins and maybe that six that gets you to a postseason. Well, Paul, we can't thank you enough for joining us on this episode and giving us your insight on the Warhawks and what they have upcoming this season. And best of luck to you as far as you covering them in the future this season and keeping them top of the Warhawks. Yeah, I appreciate appreciate that opportunity. Really enjoyed talking to Paul, the last Sunbelt journalist that we're going to talk to on this In Review series and definitely saved a good one for last Kane, I know you're a defensive guy. You brought up in that interview kind of the lack of continuity on defense over the last couple of seasons, particular at the coordinator position. I did find Paul's comments about Vic Coning pretty interesting there. He feels like he's the guy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, listen, as someone who's played at App State, I'm used to turnover at the defensive coordinator spot. I've seen plenty of defensive coordinators come in and out, and learning a different system and a scheme is very hard, and it's a lot harder if you don't have that same talent level to match. I think App State, we were able to kind of adapt to it, and we had some experienced veterans, but when you have a place like ULM who's maybe not raking in as much defensive talent, and then you add that with the turnover, it just kind of compounds and puts you a step behind. So it's good to hear that Paul had some confidence in their defensive corner they have now going into his second season, having some new continuity. The players will know the system better than they did before when they had to learn a new defense over and over and over again. So I think there is some promise for that ULM defense. And I think for them just being like we said in the episode, three out of the four last seasons, the worst defense in the league is just a bad stigma, not something you want to have. So hopefully not expecting them to flip and obviously be one of the top defenses in the conference next year. But if they can just show some continuity and take some steps in the right direction, it's obviously only up for this defense going forward. Caden, much like you said for Jason Henderson when we talked about Old Dominion earlier on in this episode, I appreciate a guy like Tyrone Howell who chose to stick around. He had a massive season Probably could have turned that into a bigger opportunity, but it it sounds like in talking with Paul, he's comfortable with this program. He appreciated them taking a chance, and he really paid it off. No, it was definitely Hughes, and I think we were all a little bit surprised to see him coming back, just knowing the nature of college football now with, now with the transfer portal. But I think him coming back is huge, especially with the quarterback kind of question mark too. But I think he's going to just next season kind of build on what he did this year. He had some monster individual games this year. He had some games where he had quarterback numbers as far as the yards and touchdowns he was doing and really kind of showed in small doses here and there how capable he was. And hopefully next season he can get a quarterback that has full trust in him, a full offseason with him as that number one target. And he can build on that going forward in the next year. Kane, you mentioned the questions at quarterback for this team. Do you feel like that's your biggest question mark for this team as we start to look ahead to 2023? 100%. It's the most important position on the field, obviously. And I think their defensive struggles, look, they, they need to fix that as well. We've talked about how much help you can get from the defense and from the running game and with the quarterback position as well. Those are really the three things that ULM is going to have to work on because those are just really the three most important things in football. But I think if they can get 
quarterback in this system that can win them some games if their defense combined with some good quarterback play can kind of meet in the middle as far as maybe holding a team to a little bit more points and a quarterback scoring a little bit more points finishing some drives off turning some of those field goals they had this year into touchdowns I think it could be one of those situations where maybe we see them sneak out some of those borderline winning losing games that Paul was referring to earlier in the episode Hey, back-to-back four and eight seasons for ULM under Terry Bowden. Can he turn it around here in year three? Maybe get to five and seven, maybe get to six and six and get to a bowl game. We will certainly be keeping our eyes on the Warhawks down in Monroe. Well, Caden, we've already handed out some awards on this episode. Let's hand out a few more. Uh, When it starts with ULM, Caden, they did get some really good performance from a key defensive end that was a, a very standout freshman for them this year. They definitely did, Noah, and let's start up front where the line of scrimmage being so important. I think this guy is going to be an important piece to this team going forward in the future, and that's why our freshman MVP is Kennard Snyder, the defensive end. The big guy up front had a monster freshman season. He's a 252-pound freshman who probably even put some more weight on at that defensive line spot, despite being a little bit undersized at the position, had a fantastic season. He had 61 tackles from his defensive line spot, which is very impressive, third most on the team, 10.5 TFLs, which ranked first on the team a sack and two pass breakups. This guy, I think, is going to have an extremely bright future and very excited to see what his offseason looks like as far as him building on the already great foundation that he has going forward. Going on the Staying on the defensive side of the ball with their defensive MVP, had to go with linebacker Tristan Driggers. His defense didn't have a lot to get excited about, but he was one player that definitely brought this team a lot of excitement and made some big plays for them week in and week out. He had 63 tackles four and a half TFLs, one sack, and led the team with three interceptions from his linebacker spot, which is very impressive. Two pass breakup as well. He hopefully, like we talked about before, with some continuity at the defensive coordinator spot, can maybe learn this defense a little bit better, help lead his team a little bit better, and have guys rally around him in the season he had going forward next season and have an improved defensive unit overall backing off of his play. Hey, I think those are two great picks. And Caden, we mentioned the struggles on defense. Those are two guys that perhaps in the future could be building blocks of a successful defense in years ahead. So two solid picks there. Offensive MVP for this team, Caden, I had to choose Chandler Rogers. He was good enough to be that offensive MVP this year. 68% completion, 2,400 yards through the air, 15 touchdowns. And really, much like some other guys in the league, he also brought a a nice dual threat option, 353 yards on the ground, five total touchdowns. I was just impressed with his overall play this year. I felt like he grew as a quarterback. You still would have liked to seen him maybe take that one additional leap, but it it was a very passable year for the ULM quarterback. Meanwhile, Caden, we've talked about him already on this episode. My team MVP, again, here's where I am going to be partial to a guy who stuck around, Tyrone Howell. 50 catches, 852 yards this year, six touchdowns. He was one of the best wide receivers in the league this year, and he's my team MVP and probably the most exciting piece looking ahead to next year for ULM. Definitely the most excited piece and definitely the most exciting piece in both seasons. And I think when you look at what he was capable of, in individual games this year, you look at his game against Texas State, he has 12 catches, 176 yards, and two touchdowns. Those are quarterback numbers. Look at the game he had against South Alabama, nine catches, 244 yards, and three touchdowns. That just shows a small glimpse of what he's capable of. And I think looking forward in this year, if he can have a couple more of those games, a couple more big plays, and really extend this team and keep them into games like he did this year, I think it's going to be a very exciting year for this ULM offense. 
Hey, well, we will see as we head into the offseason what changes take place down in Monroe and if they can turn things around and get back to maybe winning more football games as we look ahead. Well, that will do it for this jam-packed episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Virginian pilot reporter David Hall as well as ULM online columnist Paul Letlow for joining us for today's conversation. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode of the Frary and Smith podcast on Tuesday. And Caden, I am really excited about this next episode. We'll be diving headlong into NFL draft coverage with the help of a very special guest. Current Denver Broncos wide receiver and App State alum Jalen Virgil will join the show to talk uh, about some Mountaineers football, his career there, as well as his journey into the NFL. Uh, Caden, how excited are you to have Jalen on the podcast? So pumped, man. My teammate, my roommate, one of my brothers, seems like, but very excited for the people to hear our conversation we have with Jalen. Super excited just for his journey that he had this year and kind of reflecting on that and seeing kind of what the Sunbelt talent looks like and getting an inside scoop on what it looks like getting into the NFL. Hey, first NFL guy to appear on the Frarian Smith podcast, and I am here for it. Well, that'll do it for us here at the Frarian Smith podcast. As always, I'd like to today's episode please like rate and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast it really helps us and the show out we're going to be continue to be here all off season keeping you up to date on all the latest happenings from around the sunbelt conference so for caden smith richmond weaver and brett jemis i'm noah frary we really appreciate you spending time with us today well that's goodbye for now we'll talk to you again soon